We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sword Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 1996's Mission Impossible, written by David Kep and Robert Town and directed by Brian De Palma. Here's a clip. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. Should you or any member of your IM force be caught or killed, the Secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. Ethan Hunt will be your point man as usual. Good luck, Jim. Simple game. Is he serious? Always. It's much worse than you think. We're being ambushed. Abort, that's an order. They knew, they knew we were coming. I don't care how he did it. I want to know why he did it. You're worried about me. Why you survived? I'm sure we can find something I have that you need. These guys are trained to be ghosts. Let's not waste time chasing after him. Let's make him come to us. Find something that's personally important to him and you squeeze. seen me very upset this tape will self-destruct in five seconds all right that was a clip from the original mission impossible which is nothing like the mission impossible that we know today i am your host patrick murphy and joining me to talk about this amazingly excellent summer tentpole blockbuster we'll see if anybody disagrees with that is ricky d What's up, Patrick? Two weeks in a row, we choose a movie in which they didn't have a script when they started filming, so they're writing the screenplay as they're filming the movie. Yeah, and you can kind of tell in this movie that they didn't necessarily know what was going on with the actual story, and I guess that is what happened in real life. But it all pulls together, and I will explain this story to anybody. Having seen this movie so many times, I, I know this story inside and out. Also joining us to talk about this amazing tentpole action blockbuster summer spectacular is Simon Howell. 
Hello. <laughs> Uh, I picked this movie, as you could probably tell, and um, yeah, I picked this movie because, well, first of all, I wanted to do an action movie after Hard Boiled that that I liked, <laughs> and I also think this movie is just there's a new Mission Impossible. It's going to come out pretty soon. It's the 25th anniversary of this movie, and I think it's one of the weirdest summer blockbusters of all time because this wasn't just some small movie. This was a heavily advertised, huge budget. Tom Cruise action vehicle that for some reason he got Brian De Palma to direct who really hadn't had too many hits in his over his career hold mm -hmm. on a second I'm already gonna cut in two things huge budget did it only cost 18 million no it was 70 million oh wow okay and, and so there's 90, no way that's 18 million back in 96 that was a big budget that's a lot of movie that's that's <laughs> a, that's a lot of a lot of money for your movie and number two brian de palma makes sense because he directed the untouchables which is based on a 60s i think it's a 60s tv series yeah that was like one of brian de palma's that was brian de palma's biggest hit at the time was the untouchables i mean de palma was well known of course as a, as a great filmmaker but he wasn't necessarily a, an audience friendly filmmaker he wasn't a guy that was out there making massive hits. So it was just a little strange for Tom Cruise in the peak of his Tom Cruise-ness to be going after a guy that's definitely known for being sort of on the the, the outer rim of, of, you know, Hollywood, big budget studio Hollywood. Right. But what did he direct before Mission Impossible? Because it was a big hit for him. I can't remember if Carlito's Way came before Mission Impossible or after Mission Impossible, but it was right around the same same time period as well. He had had a string of like bombs i think he had done bonfire the vanities at that point um yeah i can't and i can't remember exactly when casualties of war it was but it wasn't too carlito's way came out in 93 okay so he did carlito's way right before right mission impossible then i'd love to i think he's he's one of my favorite filmmakers just because his visual style and i think that's what makes mission impossible really really cool when you think about what summer movies are today and then you look at a movie like this mission impossible and not the sequels Hmm. It, it doesn't seem to fit. I completely disagree with that statement. Really? All yes. right. I'm going to, I'm going to say almost everything I have to say about this movie and this series in like one run on sentence. And then like, that's going to, that'll be most of what I have to say. Um, Bill Gates and Tom Cruise are the same person. Uh, not literally the same person, but Tom Cruise is absolutely the Bill Gates of the movies. Uh, by which I mean, um, in the same way that I truly believe Bill Gates loves computers, I genuinely believe that Tom Cruise loves movies and understands movies and has probably seen a lot more movies than we might think. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me at all uh, that he'd go with sort of an auteur. Like, obviously, Brian De Palma may not have been taken that seriously by everyone at the time and still isn't. But anyone who'd seen a few of his movies knew, you know, knows, knew that, you know, he can put together a show-stopping sequence mm -hmm. more than anything else he can't always put together a whole movie but he sure as hell can put together a sequence and uh i completely disagree that this isn't anything like the other mission impossibles because it sets up a lot of the stuff that are fixtures for the whole rest of the series but the main one is that it is these are movies about sequences more than they are about uh, a film length plot i would say honestly that the the scripts to every single mission impossible movie feel improvised well, it's funny you say that because did you know that they 
they requested that the screenplay revolve to be written so they can have the two big main set pieces. That's all they cared exactly. about. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but, they uh, fit the story to the to the the set pieces. But, There's no but doubt to, about that. I do want to cut in really quickly here, yeah. though, is that every I mean, very very many movies. Many movies are about sequences, not just the Mission Impossible movies, and not just action movies. Um, this movie is very different in what it con- what it considers to be action. That's my main my main thrust of this what this movie considers to be action and what later mission impossible movies consider to be action are completely different things i'm not sure about that either i mean we even get a helicopter sequence but we'll get to Except that in a second for that that's well the, okay the so but, but my, my overall thesis my feeling about the mission impossible movies as a series i like them i think as far as mainstream blockbusters action series go probably the best one um overall even though like bits of every single movie are kind of patchy none of the movies are front to back great including this one um but they feel to me like um you know how the the lord of the rings movies and these other series they have prestige these big um series with lots of movie stars um you know you get collector's editions of stuff there's lots of merchandise it's all very expensive whereas the mission impossible movies they're always easy to find easy to watch you can buy them in a big in like a six pack for like 30 dollars of all the movies like they're they're kind of like a giveaway from Tom Cruise to uh, to the audience so that so that they will, uh, you know, join him in his two great loves, which are movies and himself. Well, um, and I would I would say that the, the reason for that is because most of the other Mission Impossibles to me are utterly forgettable. Like I consider it to be like, of course, they're going to get them away. They're the fast food of, of action movie franchises in my mind. That's I've seen all of them and I barely remember the plots to any of them the the first one is the second movie sticks out to me for all the wrong reasons patrick and, i just watched this movie and i barely remember the plot to this one yeah no i i and like i say i i see how every what you said about like uh this movie not working for front to back this is a movie that in my mind is one of the the few movies that i consider to be absolutely perfect like there isn't a single thing that i would really change about it not a frame. I, I I consider this movie from beginning to end to be f- nearly flawless. Um, that's why I love it so much. Now that's a personal a personal thing, but this movie has always stuck out for its visual aesthetic, which is of course Brian De Palma, one hundred percent doing that. And the later movies, yes, the John Woo movie had some visual flourishes in his action stuff. Like I can never forget the motorcycle jumping through fire and then the doves flying in the background. And uh, I'm I, I'm I'm going to finish my thesis because otherwise it won't make sense and people will think I'm just an idiot as opposed to an insane idiot, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'll be done with it. Um, so the the analogy here is you know how Bill Gates was always giving billions to charity and people were like oh that means he's a good person even though his wealth always expanded. Um, I kind of feel that way about these movies like to, like these movies are Tom Cruise's charitable donation to cinema and entertainment. Uh, that that make us feel good about him and get and it kind of works honestly i don't feel completely terrible about tom cruise and it's mostly because of mission impossible i have the opposite view (laughs) (laughs) i think mission impossible has tarnished his his reputation i think he used to be a little more of an actor and unfortunately mission impossible's now just made him sort of an aging action star i admire what he tries to pull off on a physical level but he has done nothing to take this franchise any anywhere. Like it's just a cookie cutter franchise in my mind now. The plots are the same, the 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 shots are the same. It's just the stunt that I go there for, and literally nothing else. I I don't 
care at all about any of the people in the Mission Impossible movies or the characters. I care nothing. Like, but I do in the first one, and I understand completely if somebody says like they don't care and that this, this first movie is a is a mess plot wise and the characters are all shallow or thin. Maybe I've seen it too much, you know, and and my head has filled in some of those spaces. But I I love these characters in this movie. And I love the way the movie's constructed. And I love the way that Brian De Palma will shoot a, even a conversation, make that into an action scene. And we'll get into some of our, you know, favorite moments in this movie later on. But I, I think that this movie does things so differently that it, it does, it everything heightens the characters in this movie. Everything, even the action does. And like I say, there's very, there's very little of what a modern audience today like would call action in this movie other than the very end otherwise you basically have like i think there's a total of seven gunshots in the movie there's <laughs> i mean the, a couple of explosions one at the beginning and one at the end uh unless you count the little gum thing as, a, as an explosion i guess it is i i will say like brian de palma directs the hell out of this movie like if it it, 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 it it's you know it's good work for higher work no question yes. um and i i would also say um i think i help i I think another problem with this movie, it's not its fault, but because Jean Reno is here, I kind of kept wishing I was watching Ronan. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, man. really? Not for a second. I mean, Ronan I thought was okay, but I, I that's a movie I also never really got attached to. I Yeah. Anyway, Rick, we haven't heard from you in a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here. It's been 10 minutes, and I'm, I wonder if we have any listeners left, because this is the first time where the two of you... Like, everything you guys have said, I completely disagree with. Oh, excellent. Um, totally. First of all, I think the franchise is amazing. I now, just said that. No, Patrick said the rest of them is cookie cutter and not very good. Yeah. Uh, maybe the first movie is probably the best. But I prefer my Mission Impossible over James Bond. I love no question. these movies. Guaranteed. Number two, Tom Cruise is amazing. And he gets way too much hate. He's an amazing actor. He's He got his Oscar. He wants to concentrate on action movies now. I think it was a really smart move for him to kick off his production studio by directing and producing, not directing, producing and starring in Mission Impossible. I mean, the movie made over $400 million the first year alone. So despite the fact that it cost $70 million, it's, it's clearly, it clearly made a profit, right? What I like about this movie, Simon, is it's a heist film, as are all of the Mission Impossible films, right? And the thing is, like, you say that the entire film revolves around a set piece. Every heist film revolves around a set piece, the heist, every single one from the best ones like Rafifi to Mission Impossible. They all revolve around a set piece. Now they were writing the script while filming, which is not a good and smart way to make a movie, but give them credit for making this movie and still whipping up an amazing film. Despite the fact that they're writing the script has they're filming the movie. I think that's pretty impressive. I will say that I do agree with Patrick. The last thing you said about how there's only like five gunshots. This movie almost did what I've always wanted every, uh, I've always wanted one American Hollywood action film to do. And that's to make an action movie without relying on any use of gunshots or an action scene where someone pulls out a gun. You can have guns in the movie, but just find more clever ways to direct your action. This movie almost does it. There's five, I think five or four gunshots. But I mean, I love this movie. And Brian De Palma is an amazing filmmaker. That's another thing. Like you guys are talking about him. Like, like why would he hire Brian De Palma? Why wouldn't he? This is like the guy who directed The Fury, Carrie, 
Scarface, Carlito's Way, The Untouchables. Like, there's so many reasons to hire Brian De Palma. Now, the other thing, too, that I found really weird is that you say that every single action set piece, every single camera movement, every everything about the film is there to support the characters. I think that's the movie's biggest flaw. And I don't know if I, if I would be so critical about it because it's the first in a series, but we don't really get to know much about the characters. The best character in a movie is Ving Rhames, I think, who plays Luther. I think he's like the star or the secret weapon of the first movie. Ving Rhames has the best job in Hollywood. He shows up to a Mission Impossible. He he basically sits in a chair for most of every movie that he's in. He's awesome. He's charismatic, but he doesn't really have to do a lot. And he probably gets paid a lot of money. Really good gig. He's got a good face and a good voice. Sometimes that's all you need in Hollywood. He's a big guy. He could be used in action scenes. And sometimes they use him a little a little more physically but yeah definitely not in this movie he's playing a hacker i see i actually do think that there is a lot of character in this i think you do get to know ethan hunt pretty well you don't get to know his background you don't get to know exposition about him but i think you get to know who he is and how he operates i disagree because i think the reason why brian de palma is such a great director is because the way he frames his shots the way he composes and stages his scenes it gives us the impression that ethan hunt does not know who he is like he's so lost in himself because he always plays these different characters. He has like these face masks that he wears. He has passports of different names. I don't think he's ever really into character until maybe about halfway through the film. Oh, see, nah, I don't, I, I don't, I, I can't go along with that. I mean, you could view it however you want to, but no, I think you, I think Ethan Hunt is Ethan Hunt through, through the entire movie. I don't think this is one of those movies where I think people could read so much into the masks and oh, the symbolism. And I, I remember one guy saying that it was like kind of like Brian De Palma's career wrapped up in one movie. I highly doubt they were thinking about like about this. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot in in this movie as far as like been, bl- that much below the surface. I don't think the movie's wearing a mask. In other words, uh, no. But I think like if you look at the way he he shoots his scenes. We don't get an actual single shot of Tom Cruise until about 20, 30 minutes into the movie. He always frames them as a team until the team is executed. No, we get one right at the very, right away at the very beginning. We get one right away in the opening sequence before the titles even come up. It's when, when he pulls off his, his when he's mask. he's pulling off his mask, there's, though. There's Tom Cruise right there. You get the shot of, hey, here's our movie star. But he's still in character, Ethan Hunt. He's coming out of character. Yeah, he's coming out of character, showing. But I again, I don't think this is symbolism for for Hunt's character. I think this is a, a little virtuoso opening sequence that. I'm not that saying it's symbolism, like it's an art film. I just don't think we really get to. We really don't get to know Ethan Hunt until future films. See, and I disagree because the very first words that Ethan says as Ethan is "Get rid of this scum." I think that's that's your that's Ethan Hunt right there talking. That's not a character. That's not a spy talking. That's Ethan Hunt talking, and the very first thing he says in Tom Cruise's face. But yeah, I mean, we could debate on that forever. I, I just, yeah, I just don't agree that there's that. I, I like the characters in this movie. And again, I've seen this movie a lot. I, I was telling Simon before this, I've probably seen this movie 50 times. I know it inside and out. So I like these characters. I, I think, I, honestly, Patrick, I think that the reason that you think this movie characterizes Ethan Hunt so well is because you've watched it 50 times I, and you and feel I, like these people are your friends. Like I say, I may have filled in some gaps on this. Yeah. There's no question. But I also was drawn to this movie originally for that reason. The visuals, which I think are amazing, because Brian De Palma and Rick, you were saying, why wouldn't they hire Brian De Palma? Of course, like looking at Brian De Palma as a movie lover, like why wouldn't you hire Brian De Palma? I would hire Brian De Palma for a lot more movies than Brian De Palma gets to make these days. 
but uh, but he wasn't a fine like for a big studio tentpole. He at the time he wasn't really a reliable director, right? He he had made some hefty budget movies that failed too, so it wasn't it wasn't like he was known as a hit maker. And he, Simon might be right. Tom Cruise probably does love movies because otherwise, why would you? The the story goes. I mean, Tom Cruise told the story that he he met De Palma at a dinner with Spielberg at Spielberg's house, and um. He went back and watched his whole library and said, "This guy's got to make." So he's impossible. he's not a big director, but he hangs out at Spielberg's house. <laughs> <laughs> no, De Palma does. I know because they yeah, all came that's from the what same I'm saying. I mean, he's but no, he wasn't a hit maker though. He wasn't a Hollywood hit maker. I mean, I think that's verifiably true. <laughs> I still don't. I still like. I'm still like not sure if this is the best movie in the series. I I used to think that, and I watched it last night, and it's funny because I always forget about the last action sequence the climax on the train mm. for whatever reason i always forget about the train i always forget about Milo estevez who by the way i do like the fact that they cast him in the movie because he's killed off right away and yeah. so that's kind of like casting drew barrymore in scream and killing off the big actress or like josh holloway in a future mission impossible movie and i think a couple others too right but i, I think the thing about this film is I think it runs out of ideas once we get that big set piece in the CIA, CIA headquarters, mm -hmm. which is like, I think the best scene in the film, which we'll talk about later. But after that sequence, it feels like the movie is just going through the motions to get to the train. Let's get I everyone agree. on the train and let's like wrap up the plot and let's explain to the audience once again, what is going on. The problem with this film, when it comes to the actual plot and people trying to understand the film, and I only realized this last night watching for the fourth time. So there's a sequence in which John Voight's character, Jim Phelps, returns and him and Tom Cruise end up in a restaurant or a coffee shop. I think it's a restaurant. And John Voight and Tom Cruise are going over what happened that night when the his his team was executed. Right. And what they do, and I've never seen a filmmaker do this before. So what he does, Brian De Palma, is in editing, they're having a conversation and he shows with flashbacks what actually happened and then what John Voight's character, Jim Phelps, says happened. So Tom Cruise is piecing together what actually happened versus what he's saying happened. And so when we're seeing the flashback, we're not just seeing the flashback, but we're also seeing the lie of what he's of what he's explaining to Tom Cruise's character, Ethan. Well, wait, can I, can I jump in here really quickly? It's not that. There's no lie, because you're not seeing anything from John Voight's perspective. You're seeing Ethan Hunt working it out in his mind. So... Void Void is lying to him and saying that a certain guy did it, but you, but you aren't ever seeing Void's lie. You're just Void is saying, "Oh, this this other guy is the bad guy." But in and then Cruz is agreeing with him because his character is smart enough not to say anything. But that's what I'm saying. Loud. But as Tom Cruise is picturing it, we see the flashback and we see it through his point of view, how he's thinking about it. But he's yeah. seen it from two different vantage points, one of which is false and one of which which is accurate and true. One of which he he wants to be true, and the other one of which he knows probably is true, <laughs> which is which in, which involves another character. But that entire sequence is why a lot of people were confused about the plot of the film. I think the plot of the film isn't very confusing at all. It's no. just that one sequence, the way they staged it and filmed it and edited it, the way they edited it, it confused the audience. No, like uh, if you've seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, this is basically like um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy for. 12 year olds is sort of the plot <laughs> level. Like that's the complexity level you're dealing with. If you, yeah. if, if you're really, if you are deeply like profoundly confused by this movie, um, you probably just weren't paying any attention, honestly. Well, but it's funny because they set up 
this mission in which they're supposed to retrieve the floppy disk, which has the list of all the the undercover spies, right? The spies? Yeah, uh, the non-official undercover agents. So this is actually not true. So the whole entire thing is a setup because they believe they have a mole, which they do, but they think the mole is Ethan Hunt, but it's really Jim Phelps. But they think Ethan is guilty... So then he actually has to go and steal the actual disc to prove that he's innocent. So he actually has to commit the crime that he's accused of. I like that. I think that's kind of clever. I kind of feel like that's the plot of every Mission Impossible somehow. <laughs> also, like they, they set up the, the template here. And from here on out, there's always double and or triple crosses, um, photorealistic masks, uh, you know, sexy locations that people have to travel to. Um, what else is here? Um there's always a little post-game chat after after the plot resolves where everyone just signs off, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> one I... thing that they, they do now... So I think they made the new Mission Impossible more like James Bond than this movie was. This wasn't really a James Bond movie. It doesn't follow a James Bond kind of structure, and it doesn't have the, the romance. There's no romance in this movie. Like There's, there's no there's, sex. There's barely... There's definitely even... romance, but there's no sex. Is there romance? It's sort of, but it's very implied. There's definitely no sex, yes. It's um, not. It's like, not only implied. It's, it's been... like... It's repeatedly stated that he falters in his mission because he because pretty lady basically. Well, um, that's 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 Jim Phelps's claim, maybe that 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 he was there, but there's never any evidence of that. And and except for the sequence does... where they're in bed together and like intensely close to each other for an extended period for no good reason, like wait, a you know, it's what... a PG thirteen movie. There's no like you mean you when know, he throws her to the bed or whatever, and when he's interrogating her, you mean? There is clearly sexual tension between Claire and yes. Ethan Hunt. Like she's not only a member of his team, but he clearly has feelings and emotions for her. It's um the the Mission Impossible movies have a really interesting relationship to sex, I think. Because like if you think about the James Bonds, in every James Bond, James Bond, you know, has sex with a lady at, or you know, several at least ladies. One. Yeah. Uh sometimes several ladies um and often, you know, handles them quite roughly. In the Mission Impossible movies, like there's always a hint, at least a hint of romance, but it's usually pretty much completely sexless. And like you never get the sense that Ethan Hunt is a sexual creature, really. It's kind of strange. Two two is the big exception to that. Yes, he yeah, he does settle down, but even then there's no like sexual chemistry. It's all like you're no, you're my you're my wife lady, you know? Two is before he got married. Two is when he that's the John Woo movie. Then he's, oh, right. he's, he's yeah. sleeping around with the female agent. You know what? I, I that's that's why I haven't seen Mission Impossible Can- 2 yet. Candle lit beds. And oh, that's like and that. that's why people hate it cuz it's the horny one. I understand now. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is the, yeah, he's the horny guy. Yeah, now. and yeah, it's 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 strange to watch uh, Tom Cruise be aroused. It doesn't feel right. No. But I like I like the fact that it's not too similar to James Bond because a lot of people criticize the the series for being sort of like a James Bond knockoff, and I totally disagree. Like again, I think every single film revolves around the heist. These are heist films. James Bond movies are straight up spy movies. Like there could be a heist in a James Bond movie, but the whole entire film does not revolve around the heist. Whereas Mission Impossible, it does, and that's how I'm, I haven't. I've ne- honestly, I've never watched a TV show, but from my understanding, that's how the TV show was. Also, mm. this movie is a continuation of the TV show. It's not a reboot. Um, it's also. I mean, I think it's important that it's called Mission Impossible and not Ethan Hunt, right? Um, and I think that's another problem with this movie is that uh, I think when when the later movies do work. 
a lot of it is because of the ensemble. Like exactly. They've, they, they've they've gotten together this really great and really likable set of people who can stand Tom Cruise's bullshit long enough to go through several movies. And um, uh, and you don't and like Ving Rhames sh- showing up just kind of makes you long for more of that because he's the he's the really the only piece although apparently henry shirney is coming back for the next one which is crazy he's great in this movie by the um, way like fantastic but, uh, but you know now henry they shirney. have this they have this big repertoire and that helps it feel less like the tom cruise show that they that there are other people who seem to be contributing whereas here it really does feel like the tom cruise show <sighs> yeah i don't know i again that's just that that might just be like a personal a personal viewpoint on this because i i think it it does feel like a a team i feel like this is a mission impossible thing and jim phelps always was the leader in the mission impossible tv show so it wasn't like it was you know there wasn't a a, a star in that show um yet they worked as a team that is true but there was a guy who was sort of fronting this whole thing and tom cruises has has taken over that spot but there is a team there's teamwork here it's just that it's duplicitous teamwork the team hasn't gelled you're right he hasn't gelled into having a, a consistent team yet but his team gets destroyed and i think that's kind of an interesting concept of this team that's been working together for so long pulling off operations gets completely blowed up and there's a lot of mistrust going on there now and yeah you don't have the nice team that's what i think makes this movie work really well is that dynamic it's what makes to me that the later movies boring i'm not going to say the new mission apostles are bad movies but i don't actually like them i'm not really that i i i've read a lot of the articles on our site and i know a lot of people love them so i'm not going to like trash on the new mission Impossible movies, but i personally find them pretty boring i think they're flat i think they're except for the stunt work which i think the stunt work is amazing but Outside of that, was that? I love the feature film. I love movies. So to me, I, I find it hard to be bored by any movie, even like the worst movies. There's always something to enjoy. But like with this movie, I kind of fall in between you and Simon because I do agree that it does seem like it's a Tom Cruise vehicle. But to Patrick's point, like it's a continuation of TV show, but it is sort of like a reboot because they do kill off the entire team. So he needs to reset and find a new mm-hmm. team. And the only person he really teams up with that, is going to stick with him for future films is Vin Rames character, Luther. It kind of feels like um, I've never seen the TV show. And um, I'm assuming that 95% of people who saw this movie, even in 1996, hadn't seen it either. Um, but uh, I, I like to think of it as like the T it's like the TV show getting canceled and all, all the TV stars get murdered and only Tom Cruise, the movie star gets to survive. <laughs> Even though, actually, you know, it's you know, it's it's Emilio Estevez, it's Kristen Scott Thomas. John uh, Voight at the time um, was still working. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, yeah, and I'm thinking of all the people who just get axed at the beginning, right? Oh yeah, um, yeah. Like, uh, shout out to Kristen Scott Thomas, by the way, uh, cashing in a paycheck beautifully, um, <laughs> yep. uh, in a basically a nothing part, but she looks great, which is really the whole thing. Um, yeah, I kind I, it it kind of feels like it has a meta element of like we have to leave the past behind. Oh, no question. I mean, there's there's no question it was intentionally written so that Tom Cruise could carry forward. They had to get rid of Jim Phelps because Jim Phelps was the central character of the show. You got to get rid of him if you're going to have a new guy go forward um, and he can't play and you're not going to have him just play Jim Phelps. 
Uh, so. it, w- it would be kind of funny if they keep that up as a cycle, like somehow in, in like 30 years from now, some other guy takes over Mission Impossible and the and the villain in the first one is Tom Cruise. Is Ethan Hunt. Yeah, that would yeah. be really good. Uh, I know that it made it made the original cast members mad. They were originally scheduled to have cameos, but they all refused to do them because they didn't like the way that Phelps was a bad guy. And then oh, all fuck him. Goddamn. I know. Right? The movie's way better. I hate the whole cameo thing anyway. When you're doing something like this, this works a lot better without it. Uh, all right, so we haven't talked. Uh, we can get into all the Mission Impossible stuff in the franchise, and uh, like I say, I completely understand why people like this franchise. I'm not big on it, maybe because I love this movie so much, and I see all the others as disappointments ever since. But <laughs> they all, except for the, the with the exception of the last few movies, where Christopher McQuarrie has sort of taken over, so they're all they all follow a similar uh, you know a story thread and. They all look very similar and everything like that. Each one of these movies, there's been a lot of different directors that have tackled this. I think De Palma brings the most to a spy movie than any other director that they've hired. This is your, why is this guy not making more spy movies? This guy could have made Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, even though I think that movie's fantastic. This is a spy movie guy. How come he's not getting hired? He's difficult to work with. His movies don't make money. Mm. He's also he's also moved on aesthetically. Honestly, like his his recent movies don't look anything like this. No, I know, I know. Um, but at the time, you would think. I know he made went on to make Snake Eyes after this, and that was that was one of his movies again, um, that he wrote. But it, I would have thought that studio maybe studios did come calling. I know De Palma's not really in pursuit of a paycheck a lot of time. He's a strange guy, <laughs> but yeah, I do really think that his style lends of all the directors that have done a Mission Impossible movie, his style lends itself the best to this. The sort of the mechanical camera movements. Um, that suggests security cameras watching all the time or like the you know i do think the the first person works really well in this the dioptic lenses work really mm. well um everything uh, sort of contributes to a spy feeling that's really the best reason to watch mission impossible i mean there's two good reasons to watch this movie one you're doing a mission impossible marathon and you got to watch it uh <laughs> the other good reason is it looks fucking great uh, like the you, you're right, the first person stuff in the in the party sequence is mwah. Um, yeah, the, the all the all the stuff in tight spaces with with uh, with Jean Reno. Um, so many so many great looking great looking shots, great looking sequences. Um, there's other aesthetic stuff I'm like not totally wild about, but uh, but the the look of it is like totally unimpeachable. Well, he uses the same cinematographer, the same director of photography. I'm talking about the Palma here that he's used for Carlito's Way, The Untouchables. Like it's his go-to guy, and so you still get those like Dutch angles and um, you know, like the typical what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, Brian the Palma signature camera shots, right? Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite sequence, but it's 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 really close. It's the elevator sequence because I love the way they just showed a set and the way the camera moves from like one room to the elevator and then like dollies up. And it's such a, a De Palma film. Like like you know what I mean? Like if you did not know that Brian De Palma directed this movie, but you you've watched previous Brian De Palma films, you'd be mm-hmm. like, wow, this looks like a Brian De Palma film. Another funny thing about this movie is that it's funny to imagine the Brian De Palma cut of this movie, like. You know, like like the version that he could have made in like if he had total freedom and it wasn't a franchise film or whatever. Like, you know, obviously it wouldn't like you'd see Emilio Estevez's head get caved in and everyone's fucking and but well, there you know, would there would it would have opened with a naked woman in a shower. Yeah, uh, it, it's just like you would only have to add like ten minutes to the movie, but it would just all be gore and and, and sex, <laughs> and it's kind of funny. It wouldn't make the movie better or worse. It's just funny to think about. 
I, I think like one of the things that Brian DePaul brings to this that uh, that I find missing in the later um, installments and just in in big budget action movies in general is sort of unique ways of doing very very standard stuff, unique ways of showing it with his camera. The 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 scene where they transition where he's recruiting, and the first time you see Luther and Krieger, and you know everybody sitting all together. The way he introduces everybody is just unique to me. I don't see people do this anymore. It would have been very easy to just have a cover, you know, a master shot of everybody sitting on the train, four seats, they're facing off with each other, and fine. Then you cut back and forth as they talk. But instead, he has this profile shot that ends up being sort of a pan as well, where Luther comes into frame as a close-up. He sits back in his chair, revealing Krieger behind him, whose shiftily eye looks over towards Claire as the camera pans over to her. And then Tom Cruise sits forward in the frame and you see him in profile as a close-up. And it's just a, those kind of little touches. I know they don't necessarily mean anything and they might be purely stylistic, but that's what I want out of a movie like this. It's just different ways of showing people, introducing scenes, don't always have to do the standard, okay, we're all sitting around at a table. I have my master shot of everybody seeing a table and now I'll use medium shots and the occasional close-up. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying about the elevator sequence. Like, Brian De Palma knows how to tell a story and with the camera movement. And although the camera moves and it can be flashy, it never really takes at least me out of the story. Like, I never feel like I'm being pulled off or being distracted by the camera. And you also sort of get that with the opening shot because they have the homage to the TV show because it opens up on the black and white TV set, right? Mm-hmm. And the way the sequence plays out and the way the camera moves and eventually you just realize that the whole entire thing is just an entire set. And you realize this because of the way the camera moves. And I guess you have to give credit to the cinematographer too. Uh, But I love the way he and his DOP just use the camera to tell the story. The the DOP is Stephen H. Broom, by the way. Figured we should get his name in there. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we should probably take a quick break. I could go on praising this movie for another hour, but I know you guys don't want to. (laughs) But when we come back, we'll do our five questions. Before that, here's another clip from Mission Impossible. Simple game. Four players. Exfil opens the pocket. Cyberops lifts the wall. Bank. IMF mainframe. Where exactly is it? In Langley. In Langley? The one in Virginia, Langley. Inside CIA headquarters at Langley? Is he serious? Always. <laughs> if we're going to Virginia, why don't we drop by Fort Knox? I can fly a helicopter right in through the lobby and set it down inside the vault. And it would be a hell of a lot easier than breaking into the goddamn CIA. What are we downloading? Information. What kind? Profitable. All right, that was another clip from Mission Impossible. We are we have reached the portion of the podcast where we ask our five questions. We're going to start off positive. How could you not be positive for the best Mission Impossible? Um, Simon, favorite scene? Um, I think actually that uh, that sequence that uh, Ricky was describing, um, th- where it's really just. Uh, Cruz and Voight uh, uh, sitting at a, sitting at a table, and Voight really doesn't do a lot of acting in this movie. Let's be honest; um, he's kind of been phoning it in for about thirty years. 
uh, we're just 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 cruising off of Midnight Cowboy. Anyway, um, and yeah, all oh, you're the, forgetting all... Anaconda. That was the one oh, of course. Me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And of course, he gave us Angelina Jolie. How can we forget? Um, but uh, the yeah, just the everything Ricky was describing about the way it's edited. It's dreamy. It's um, it feels very European. Um, which like is also actually something that uh, ends up being um, uh, a, a recurring feature in these movies later is their European quality. Right. We didn't mention the fact that they actually decided to shoot in Prague, which was like the first Hollywood film to shoot there. And I thought it was a great choice for a location. Fantastic choice. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a very unusual sequence uh, for any, for any film let alone for a, a mainstream action movie. It it whips. It's so good. And obviously the 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 more op- I mean there's bigger flashier sequences that are totally great. Uh totally great. And I mean, obviously the 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 whole Langley raid is the reason that's the that's the number one iconic image from like the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, that's that's maybe the more obvious best one, but the thing that Ricky described was where I was most like that's where I was most like sitting at attention. Like, yeah, that's the shit. It's a great scene, and I love Danny Elfman's score during that scene. Um, everything works really well there. I I like it. You're, I know that it is confusing to people because they're not quite getting in. They're not understanding necessarily that they need to be inside Cruz's Ethan Hunt's head. Yeah, they they don't understand but, like the basics of visual language and visual yeah, storytelling, was, which that concerns never me. Bothered me. I was never that to me. That was a revelatory scene. I would that was my oh moment, right? Because I was kind of rolling with it back in 1996. Um, I've never had a problem with that, but I do understand that people do have a problem with that, but I never did. Like that to me is just pure cinema language right there. Like, of course I knew exactly what was going on. Uh, Rick, what about you? What's your favorite scene? Well, I think the best scene is clearly the scene in which they break into the CIA headquarters, Langley, right in Virginia. Yeah. I just think that is a prime example of how Brian De Palma really learned how to build suspense and took a lot of inspiration from someone like Hitchcock. I've seen this movie four times and after watching it last night, I was still at the edge of my seat, even though I know what's going to happen. I was at the edge of my seat. I think it's just a masterclass in building suspense. I love it. And props to Tom Cruise who had to actually perform the stunt. And again, it's the most iconic sequence of the film. So there are two things that I like about that that I think modern filmmakers could take an example from, and even the new Mission Impossible movies could could use. Uh, and that's how you set up the suspense in that. So they in a lot of heist movies that are going to tell you how they're going to break into the vault, right? This is our plan. And then you get to see them actually execute the plan. There's always a few wrinkles and things go things go wrong and they have to think on their feet. This movie doesn't tell you how they're going to execute the plan. It only tells you what could possibly go wrong. So it just sets up the obstacles, and then you're watching the plan. The plan is fresh, because you don't really know how they're going to get over these obstacles. But you know everything that could go wrong, and that's where the suspense comes from. So he basically sets up the sticks of dynamite, and then he's able to light all the fuses. That happens one. like five times in every Mission Impossible movie. No, they I swear to God. They always detail their plans. They always say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to first time, I'm, I'm going to dress up like this guy, and we're going to go into the bank, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. You don't get that, actually, from the CIA heist. You don't get a planning sequence where they say, this is what we're going to do. He just says, this is what we're up against. And that, mm-hmm. I think, is a crucial difference for what makes that scene work better than any any heist in any of the other Mission Impossible movies. He's right, um, though, Simon, because the, the thing is, that's that's what makes this movie different. They explain what can go wrong. 
they do not explain how they will do it. We do not know going into the room that he's going to drop down from the ceiling. Like we do not know this until it actually happens. I I think I mean I I acknowledge that there are examples where they explain in excruciating detail how difficult the thing uh, Tom Cruise is about to do is. I completely acknowledge that's a thing. I just don't think it's totally unprecedented in the other movies. Of course, I'd have to rewatch them to be sure. I'm a huge fan of the series, and I like just about every single movie, even like the second film to some degree. But it is different here, and. I think, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't know if, if that's maybe because they feel that they need to explain everything in future films because this movie was heavily criticized by critics and, um, you know, just audience members for, for who, who, who claim that they just did not understand what the movie was about. Or maybe it's because they were writing the screenplay as they were filming, so they weren't entirely sure what they were going to do. I don't that's know. That's very possible, too. <laughs> that's entirely possible. Uh, whether or not it was by accident or on purpose, I think it works really well, though. Um, my favorite scene, my favorite scene is the one in the aquarium restaurant. I love that scene from start to finish. I think it's a great example of how you can make conversation incredibly tense with extreme camera angles and uh, just sort of a rising tension. Yeah, sorry, those beautiful Dutch angles. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Such extreme. Fucking killer sequence. Killer, 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 killer stuff. Yeah. And just a great ending to. That's a, and that's a set piece scene. And by modern day standards, a guy jumping through a window is not a set piece anymore. But it was back then. And it, and it, it still is today, thanks to De Palma's filmmaking. I, I, you can't have any director take that sequence and make it into a set piece. It has to be somebody like De Palma who, can, who knows how to ratchet things up. We have to give full credit to Tom Cruise and not Brian De Palma because it was his idea to blow up the fish tank it was his idea to actually perform the stunt because they actually brought in a stuntman and they just thought it would not look realistic and he had one chance one chance to do it and that was it and that's the one and only shot he he cut himself on a piece of glass can can i just say like i'm sorry this this might be an asshole opinion but like sometimes when i hear about tom cruise taking over stunts and like doing them and he gets injured or whatever i'm always just like on behalf of stunt people everywhere, I just get annoyed. Like that, there's a reason you don't make movies like that, and it's because there's people, there's trained professionals and an entire industry, and you're just like stoking your ego by proving you can take risks. Like, yeah, I, I just totally disagree. This is why I hate it when people bash Tom Cruise. He did it because they actually tried it with a stuntman, and it didn't did not look realistic. D- so he's D- like, Palma "Fuck it, I'm like going it. to do it." He, Nobody he liked does it. it because it looks more realistic. And at the end of the day. Like, that's what kind of sells the movies these days. It's like people go to see Tom Cruise perform the next big, huge stunt. Yeah, I was going to say, you have this slow motion shot of the water cascading down and, and Cruise coming out the broken window with a stuntman that's just not going to pull you in and be nearly as exciting. I think it it had to, you had to be able to see Cruise's face to see the character, the character's face in order to make that shot truly exciting and cap off what was, you know, again, there's, there's, this is not on paper a very exciting scene, <laughs> but, but due to the filmmaking choices they made, it becomes my favorite scene in the movie. I love every second. Plus, I love Henry Zerny. I like, I just there's something about the way that he reads every single line in this movie that I love. Um, but especially during that little interrogation scene, how he how he sort of changes, he shifts from being you know the placating official saying oh yeah you're gonna be fine we're gonna get you through we're gonna extradite you through canada and you know blah 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 and we're gonna use your passports to all of a sudden like 
saying that he hopes that he sees the guy in hell, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's a great escalation over the course of that conversation. All right. Um, if there was one thing you could change about Mission Impossible, just one thing, Simon, what would it be? I actually don't think this should change because I think it's amazing that it's in there. Uh, but I think if I was going to, if I was trying to make a better movie, I would have changed this. Um, David Kep and Robert Town co-wrote this movie. David Kep wrote Jurassic Park. Robert Town wrote Chinatown, you know, and that's just one credit for each. In Like these guys are fucking machines. They've written a lot of great movies. And, and yet, as you, as we've already acknowledged, this movie was essentially be, there, there, there's a reason you get pros for a movie like this. If you're, if you've got to make it up on the spot, because these guys know movies inside and out better than anyone. Uh, and yet, and yet, <laughs> there's still a scene here where a distraught Tom Cruise uh, gets in a phone booth and uh, is trying to reach his people at the IMF. Um, and, uh, and he gets a guy on the other end and he has to specify, can we, like, yeah, I'm here, this is me, I'm me, this is my identity. Can we get a secure line? And then the guy's like, there's like a little modem sound for a second. And he comes back. He's like, yeah, we're secure. Mm-hmm. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> you're you're going to the trouble of code names and super secret lines. And you're not just like starting out on a secure line. I know it's a small thing, but I just think it's so like, it's so funny that it's in there because it's just like these guys were just churning this out and not thinking too much about it. <laughs> no. And it's clear this this is not Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. No. At all. <laughs> like you're right that it's that movie for 12 year olds. It, it's um, funny how the movie is so dated because of the technology. Like this is when the internet started becoming like big and everyone yeah. had the internet at home type thing, like 1996 and everything from the computers. I know Apple helped finance the film because you see Apple computers throughout the whole entire film, but the internet, the computers, the laptops, the way they hack into like the computer systems, it's so dated. Like it's Use funny. It. Mm-hmm. yeah there's I, I love i love this is another thing that i like about this movie i love that there's an entire sequence where there's like danny elfman suspenseful music and tom cruise is like is like casually browsing through through like biblical usenet groups and and also i i love how this movie accurately captures how exhausting it is to write and send emails Yes, he's falling like, asleep as he's doing it. Practically, he's writing. He's writing like a sentence, and he's every time he's like, <sighs> which he's right. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's doing it in different languages. He's doing the same email over and over again. But yeah, he, he's tired. Um, <laughs> the, the technology in this movie, it is too bad. But of course, that's going to happen to so many movies as as we go on. How ridiculous they're going to look. But you know what? I I have a, sorry. One last comment about technology in this movie. The mask thing is is extra funny now because there was a really big story in Newsweek this week about how the Pentagon has 60,000 uh, covert agents participating in what they call signature reduction. Um, you can Google it. I'm not going to go on about it. But they show the masks that people use in real life now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're only intended to be good enough to just you, you get spotted on a security camera. And it's like, yeah, maybe that's that person or th- some old guy. Yes. Um, but it's like still even now we we're not caught up to the Mission Impossible 1996 mask technology yet. We're not there. No, no. But I love the masks in this movie though, and it's a great effect. It's a great blend of, of practical and computer. Actually, they, they do they handle the effects fairly well in this movie um, up until the very end, of course. Uh, yeah, obviously. All right. So, uh, well, 
Rick, I can't remember. You didn't really allude to what you would change. So, so what, what would be the one thing, one thing that you would change? Well, what I really love about the movie, like I said, is that it's really a heist film and there's very few big set action shootouts, right? It's not your typical action Hollywood film. And I like the way the Palma focuses on character and building suspense. It's more of a thriller. But the very last sequence, the climax, the speeding train, I just don't think they needed a speeding train. I don't think they needed anything that big. And I know in ILM helped with the special effects and maybe they had more faith that they could do a better job than what we actually get at the end of the film. It's not terrible. I mean, look, clearly it looks fake. That said, Tom Cruise does perform his own stunt stunts in that final sequence. Yes, Simon. So there's a bit of practical effects. There's a lot of stunt work on behalf of Tom Cruise, yet there's a lot of CGI and the mix is strange. Like what I like about the Mission Impossible series and what I like about Tom Cruise is I like the fact that he does his own stunts. We always complain about how nowadays anyone can do any of these action sequences that you see in movies like Hard Boiled, Mission Impossible, Die Hard, because it's all done on a computer. And what's great about watching those action movies from the 70s, 80s, and I guess early 90s is it's actual people performing the stunts it's an actual camera moving in an actual location somewhere in the world that's why i like the fact that tom cruise does his own stunts. so i completely disagree with simon that's what makes the series so special and unique compared to the rest of the hollywood action films including james bond so i mean if i had to change something i would want an action set piece maybe on a train but remove all the cgi if tom cruise is going to perform his own stunts let the dude perform his own stunts so I'm also going to pick a specific part of that sequence. I actually really like the train sequence. And I think it fits well within the movie. And I don't mind. I like sort of the green screen background on the on the physical train model, of course. Um, or it's not a model. It's just a, it's a, a set. It's both. In front of a blue they screen. use a, a model and it's blue screen. Yeah, yeah. And Tom Cruise is up there on wires and he's getting flipped over. And I love all that. I actually think that's really well. It's very Hitchcock and it's very like North by Northwest, mm -hmm. right? You've got this big sequence at the end. I just don't like when the, the, the point when the helicopter flies into the tunnel. And that's when it starts to look extremely fake. <laughs> and it, takes, it pulls you out, right? I think you could have still done the gum thing at the end. And I love using the gum at the end because it's set up at the beginning. In fact, everything in this movie that gets set up at the beginning, always it always pays off at some point. And I love that too. Very satisfying in a movie for that to happen. Um, you you could still blow up the helicopter. I just, if I could only change one thing, even though I don't like the helicopter flying into the tunnel, that's getting rid of an entire sequence. But if I could change one little element of it, I don't want him jumping off the helicopter as it explodes and mm. flying towards the plane. That he, shot to me is so that is the single worst shot in the movie. You know, I, the other problem the other problem with this sequence is that I'm pretty sure wasn't this the same year or very close to speed? Jan de Bond's uh, speed. It was two years later. Speed is uh, ninety four. Oh wow. Yeah. And the there's a, a pretty similar climax in speed, and honestly, it looks a lot better than this does. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a it's not a good shot uh, for sure. There are a couple shots in there I like. I like the shot where he jumps from the train to the helicopter. I like the blurry background and everything like that. I you know, and I like all of him hanging onto the the train top and all that. And I love the the wind. They got the practical fans in there to blow his face. Um, that didn't come out right, but 
regardless, it's that one shot at the end. I and I they did it for Hollywood blockbuster reasons, and that's where the movie kind of reveals itself at the end to be yes, this is a a summer action movie. But uh, that's the only thing that I that I would change. I know why they put it in there because they wanted to to give the audience some big final release. But for me personally, I would have rather it been just a little more spyish, where he was more clever than getting jumping away from an explosion. <laughs> I guess because the whole rest of the movie had been him relying on his wits and not on blowing stuff up. Um. All right. MVP of this movie. Rick, we're going to start with you first. Who's your MVP? Tom Cruise. First of all, he produced a movie. He's the reason why the movie and the series and the franchise exists. He made a lot of decisions on set, including the restaurant sequence. It was his decision to actually do the stunt and blow up the fish tank. The lobster tank, I think it is. It's lobsters, right? He performs his own stunts towards the end of the film. I think... It's Tom Cruise. He's a star. He's money. He's going to get people into the seats and buying tickets to see this movie, unlike the rest of the cast, who I love. But let's face it, they weren't big stars at the time. I mean, Emilio was basically in Mighty Ducks, I think, right? Yeah, he was. Jean Reno was big overseas, but not big in the United States of America. So, yeah, Tom Cruise, definitely the MVP. And I mean, I would love to give it to Brian De Palma, but I just think that if you remove Tom Cruise from this movie, I'm not entirely sure if the franchise would continue to exist the way it does today. Simon, what about you? I mean, pretty much everything I like. No, that's, 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 that's too much. Most things I like in this movie are down to Brian De Palma. So I got to give it to him. I mean, the style is just off the charts in a lot of these sequences. And if without, without the style, I think I would find the movie, um, it would, I mean, it would probably still be a fine entertainment, but I think it would be much less memorable because there's nothing in the, in the screenplay to make it memorable. It's all in the visuals. And, uh, I know obviously no cruise equals no movie, but, um, De Palma here, I think of him, maybe that that wasn't the relationship, but I think of him as basically just a guy doing a job here and not like a passion project in any way. Um, and he, here he is showing you how to do a job you know like showing other director you want you know you, if you're taking a paycheck earn it and he fucking earns his paycheck he said exactly why he did this movie and i don't think anybody disputes it he did it because he hadn't had a hit in a while and he wanted to keep making movies there you go and so he did take, this, was, this was a paycheck job this was a i need something big again job yeah um so that i can continue to do my stuff and yeah. you know Right after this movie, he went back into personal personal passion projects. So, but... yeah, I mean, like the the appeal is obviously not going to come from the script. I mean, lots of uh, amazing actors are in this movie, like Emmanuel Bayard and Vanessa Redgrave, Kristen Scott Thomas, and we've either like barely mentioned them or not mentioned them because yeah, their Vanessa characters Redgrave. are just like nothing. Fantastic in this movie, Vanessa. Redgrave. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave is always great. Um. Um. So yeah. Anyway, Brian De Palma. It's got to be Brian. Yeah, I'm I'm in the Brian De Palma boat. I think like Rick, you love the Mission Impossible franchise. I can absolutely see why Tom Cruise is the MVP for you. I don't like the Mission Impossible franchise. I I, I I I'm not really like into the Mission Impossible franchise. I'm into Mission Impossible, and for me, that is because solely because of De Palma. So he's my MVP. Um, I love the way this movie looks. 
Right. But the, the like I'm a huge fan of Brian De Palma too. Let me let, let me just make that very clear right now. Like I love his movies. The only reason why I'm choosing Tom Cruise over Brian De Palma for this specific film is because Tom Cruise hired De Palma. De Palma still working with his go-to cinematographer and editor and he's basically looking at it like it's a paycheck, like it's a job so he can finance the, his future films. He does an amazing job. This is an amazing movie, but I kind of feel like Tom Cruise really is the one who was leading the the crew and leading the project i fully get that this is tom cruise's vision and to be honest i sometimes want has anyone seen christopher mccrory and tom cruise in the same room because uh like have they merged into one person because i i, I now think of tom cruise as the, as the auteur and director of mission impossible like completely yeah, I don't know. I I mean, at this point, he it is all it is his show. Well, it's been his show from the very beginning. It's always been that. That was yeah. what that was what I was surprised by. I remembered this as being like kind of an embryonic form of Mission Impossible, where he hadn't. It wasn't his his thing yet. But no, that's completely wrong. Like he completely, it was his property from the very beginning. It, it was his first first production. Yeah, and I'm telling you, Patrick, if you ever, if someone ever straps you to a chair, sits you down and makes you watch every single one of these movies in order, you'll realize they're more similar than you think. Uh, not this far. I, I, I have seen all these movies and I just, I, every time I watch a new one, I think back on this. I think you could make arguments structurally, but, I, but otherwise, I think that there's only surface level connections. I don't think there's a whole lot tying the original Mission Impossible to the other Mission Impossibles. I guess it depends on what you're looking for and what you value in the franchise. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what I sure. value in this franchise is or, is, or what I value from this first movie is completely absent in every movie since. And like, you can't tell me there's a ton of style in the new movies. There just is not like this anyway, not there. There's some nifty action scenes. And like I say, some great stunts. Tom Cruise is always watchable. And so is the cast, but I guess I really loved the visual style of this. And that's what, me, what makes James Bond kind of boring to me as well is a lot of times it's just lacking in visual style and panache. Let me get this straight. You don't like hard boiled. You don't like James Bond. And you don't like Mission Impossible. I'm okay with James, certain James Bond movies. It all depends. It's hit and miss with me. I liked Skyfall, but I didn't like Spectre. <laughs> and, uh, that's completely fair. That's completely fair. Skyfall is amazing. Spectre is a disappointment. Um, yeah, so it, there's no question. Cruz is there. I wish he'd go back to actually... I, I know... I, I do get the sense that he really likes movies, but I also get the sense that he's a businessman and an entertainer. And he's not really out... He's not setting out right now to make great movies. Tom Cruise is setting out to, to, to rake in some dough. And I wish he would go back to trying to make some great movies because I don't think anybody could accuse the Mission Impossible movies of being cinema classics. You know, like when Mission Impossible seven and eight come out, which they're making right now, like I'm sorry, you're you're not trying to make cinema classics anymore. You're just continuing a franchise because it does well for you. You have a good time shooting it. You you've got good production value. You're not throwing the thing together sloppily, but you're not trying to produce cinema anymore. Wait, hold on. They're trying to make money. <laughs> with a movie <laughs> but that's a, that, that's like the sole purpose of telling a new mission impossible story it's not because you had this great story that you simply had to tell it was guys we got to do another mission impossible story let's come up with something and they probably got like 20 of them hanging around they're like yeah we're gonna do this one this time we got nothing better 
we got to keep this thing going, man. So at this point, I can't accuse, accuse Cruz of, of being this like lover of cinema when all he's making is Mission Impossible movies. He's not even doing anything else. So uh, I wish he would go back because he is a very talented guy. And, you know, movies need he's – he's one of the last movie stars, and movies need guys like that. Speaking of great movies, though, in classic cinema, I, of course, obviously will argue that this is a great movie. I don't think we need to go, go any further than that, especially since I called it Flawless, um, <laughs> which I should have said nearly flawless because I do think the helicopter thing at the end. Is the, Does this qualify? Does this meet Howard Hawks's standard? For great movies, meaning three great scenes, which I think we can all say this movie has, but no bad ones. That I'm curious about. Um, no, you want to know why? Why? Which one's um, the bad one? The, the, oh, did you forget the scene where the movie stops dead in its tracks for like two and a half minutes while we learn that another thing that Tom Cruise can do is sleight of hand? Oh, the little thing with Krieger? <laughs> yeah, with, with Sean Reno. <laughs> stupid fucking scene stupid scene i'm sorry I, I i do like this movie a lot but that scene was really dumb that was to demonstrate krieger's untrustworthiness I'm no gonna, it was I'm to demonstrate that tom cruise learned how to, learned do, a how to do a magic trick. trick and it was also it was also to show how much he trusted luther so they hadn't really had a scene showing that luther is the good guy in all of this Luther was kind of long for the ride when they did the heist, but he was sitting in the sitting in the, the fire engine for the entire He kind of just he, he kind of feels just along for the ride to, for the whole movie to me. <laughs> but this was a scene that shows like I trust you. you yeah, are, yeah, I I, I know what you're and, saying and, and because you he literally says man. it out loud to him in yes. plain English, as yes, people exactly. always do. Wait, I wait, trust Simon, you. You don't like Luther in this movie? Oh no, no, trust me, I love Ving Rhames. Uh, he's he's you know. He really, like I said, I just love to watch him sit in a chair and say lines. He's just so fun to watch. I think it's such he, great casting, though, because I think like a in a typical Hollywood film, it would be the skinny, young, geeky dude with big glasses that would be the computer hacker. Yeah, yeah and we and we sort of get a version of that later with Simon Pegg. Um, but uh, no, there's and I think they fig I think Tom Cruise very smartly figured out very quickly uh, that he and Ving Rhames have great screen chemistry and they're a, a wonderful screen contrast i'm not just saying that because they're different races it's just their screen presences and physical presences are like opposite uh and it's uh there, there's a reason he's basically the is he in all the movies or is he like in not is, is he not in one of them no i think he's in all of them uh, i th that i think Maybe basically three. he's the three i think he's the, the i can't doesn't remember. he die no 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 he's still alive uh at the end no, he's in all. He's the only person, except I think, except he, Tom Cruise, who's in all of these. About to get blown up, I think, at the end of the last, the last one. one. Yeah, Did yeah. He, he didn't actually die in that though. No, yeah, Ving Rhames is super important to keeping this series uh, accessible to normal people. What do you mean by normal he, people? No, I just mean he. I mean, <laughs> like with no. Hear me out. Without a Ving Rhames, without Ving Rhames and people like Ving Rhames in these movies, what they do you wouldn't mean people feel very like human. Ving Rhames. What? What are you? No, I mean people. About? I mean people who aren't Tom Cruise. Like you need regular people who aren't who aren't doing like insane stunts that 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 center on themselves. You need uh, you need like humanizing presences in these movies. For he's, them to work. A, he's a guy that chuckles. Like he's a guy. That, so you obviously know he has a sense of humor. He he seems like a down to earth yeah. guy. Oh, that's another thing he with this movie with emotions. To that's a. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about Ving Rhames because that's another movie that that's another thing that this movie sets up that I think is in every single Mission Impossible afterwards, which is like 
um, Tom Cruise negotiating with Ving Rhames to do a job that Ving Rhames knows is impossible and like kind of suckering him into it with like some weird, uh, some weird uh, challenge to overcome mm-hmm. uh, that. I'm pretty sure that exact scene happens in every subsequent Mission Impossible movie. Definitely at least the second one and maybe the third, although I can't remember Ving Rhames' role in the third, to tell you the yeah. truth. Un- until, of course, like in the last few, it's just assumed that they will just do all the jobs because they're yeah. a family now. Yeah, you know exactly. I'm going to choose every single one of these movies to review just because you guys are getting me really angry. <laughs> I don't hate these movies. I, I That may have come across. I just find them to be disappointments when compared to the original. That's all. Wait a minute. You said you hated the franchise. I, no, I said I don't like the franchise. That's not the same as hating it. And and I find them boring, but that doesn't mean that I find them torturous. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> like, I don't ha- I could watch all of these movies. And I, I keep going to these movies, so I can't hate them that much. Um, because I do think they have cool action and like a lot of great stunts. I don't care about the characters at all whatsoever. So I just want them to go from stunt scene to stunt scene. That's a, that's exactly all I want out of Mission Impossible now. And I couldn't tell you what's happening with the plot in any of these things anymore. I've seen them all and I could not tell you. Um, I just don't care. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be torture for me to watch all these over again. Maybe two. <laughs> but I might have a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say like overall, they I, I agree with you in a, only in the sense that like, yes, you don't get uh, the cinematic style of, of a De Palma in the new movies. But I think the way in which they're better is on a character level. Uh, they're not better on a plot level, but they're better on like populating these films with real, real or real seeming people who you sort of care about. Uh, and have and are played by very charismatic and uh, and, and uh, entertaining actors, and they're now at the point where like they've gotten really good at this, and they can, for instance, add Henry Cavill to that last one, just stomping all over the movie, having a great time. I did um, like him, yes. Yeah, the like that, that fight scene was very good. Uh, that's like he he actually did have a character, like you could describe him to people, um, which is sort of lacking here, and I think that that's the ways in which the films I think have improved. Uh, the most i'd say yeah and to me oh i mean i gotta get to rick on the uh whether or not you think this is a great movie but for me that's where they've gotten more cookie cutter see i i don't i don't i didn't want that in my spy movie i like having the ghosts out there i like having these people be sort of impenetrable in a way i don't want to have my lead character in a spy movie have a romance have a wife like i i think that that's lame to tell you the truth <laughs> I, I to me it's just like oh okay so he's every other standard action hero ever like there's there's just no need for that i like cold bloodness that's why i like tinker taylor soldier spy i like the coldness of that movie and it turns a lot of people off but i that to me is one of its, its assets and uh, i kind of like that with this original mission impossible too it is cold these characters for the most part are cold except for luther who is he's clearly the warmest character in this movie uh rick do you think that this is there are three great scenes and no bad ones. No, it doesn't pass the Howard Hawks test. All right, what's your bad one? Well, first of all, I, I think it only has... Well, no, it has, like, about five great scenes. Mm-hmm. So I would say five. The The restaurant sequence, the elevator sequence, the opening sequence, the breaking into the CIA headquarters, and the sequence in which um the one that t- the, that Simon likes the was it I don't know if they were at the, the dinner they sequence? were they were at a uh, train station diner essentially they were just having co- like a place to get coffee they were just sitting I don't even know if they were at a diner they were just at tables in the train station 
Okay, I wasn't sure. Okay, so but the thing is, like, I'm sorry, but as soon as that helicopter flies into the tunnel, it's it's a stupid sequence. It's just stupid. It's it's it it, it doesn't ruin the film because the film is so good, but it's no longer a Brian De Palma vehicle. It doesn't feel yeah. like a Brian De Palma film anymore. It feels fake and phony because you have Jean Reno flying a fucking helicopter into a tunnel and it looks so goddamn fake. And it's so disappointing because I see I, I still do like it. I do think it's the best movie in in the series, but I do also feel that once we get past the CIA headquarters and they're building towards the climax and that's what happens in a climax it is disappointing because they didn't need to go into the tunnel they could have still performed a stunt on top of the train with the helicopter and blow up the helicopter but not make it look like a video game okay. so i mm. just i can't say that's a good scene because the way it ends it's it's it ends on such a stupid note and i saw this movie on the big screen when it came out opening night and I still remember that when we walked out, everybody was making fun of the movie because of that that one specific sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, the I feel like there's a pretty good chance from like 1994 to 1999 that if you're watching a sequence where a, like something dumb is happening involving a lot of vehicles and explosions or perhaps alien creatures, there's a pretty good chance Jean Renault is somewhere in that scene because I just feel like because there were so many like international co-productions uh, going on at the time, like Jean Renault is just always there. Were you thinking um, of alien resurrection specifically? Alien resurrection. God, he's in Godzilla. Godzilla uh, yep. He's in Ronin. Uh, he's in this. Ronin uh, doesn't have too much cheesy stuff in it though. No, no, right, but yeah. it's like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I like Jean Reno. He's always like a, a perfectly welcome presence in a movie. I just find it funny that he's always there for this dumb shit. <laughs> He seems to be a guy that's having a good time in a lot. Jean Reno has seen a lot in these movies. <laughs> it's funny though because he starred in Le Professionnel, which is like one of the best action movies ever. But yeah, yeah. yeah when it comes to him as a supporting character, he's usually a nothing. Actually, his part in Ronin is really good, but other than that, he just hasn't he doesn't get a lot to do usually. He's just there to be like French color usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he does the best with what he's got here, which is not much. And that's that that's a testament to his skill because really, if you look at his lines on paper, they're crap. But I always his character sticks out to me though, simply because of him. I do like that he threw in a little uh, tagel uh, to Emmanuel Bea, which I'm mm. sure that there's no way that was in the fucking script. I can't. I I don't think so either because that line seems completely off the cuff, and they cut away from it so fast. I'm not sure that mm. it was. <laughs> there's no way it was supposed to be there. Uh, all right. Lastly, before we wrap this thing up, going forward, like the Mission Impossible franchise, obviously we've talked about it a lot today. It's 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 pretty set in stone. Chris McQuarrie is doing seven and eight. I think they've they've already they might be in the process of still filming eight, but I know that they're doing it back to back. I don't think this is the one where they're going to space, but um, no, no, that's this, not. This movie is the one he's doing with Doug Liman. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Yeah, and apparent. Yeah, that's not a Mission Impossible movie. I don't think. Okay. All right. So. Um, like I said, the franchise is pretty much set in stone. I, I don't know that we're ever going to get another director. As long as Macquarie and Cruz keep wanting to do these, I don't see... Yeah. I mean, this is like their job now. Like If you're Macquarie, like, this is your job. Your job is to make Mission Impossible Macquarie, <laughs> Macquarie has clearly been brought into the fold. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like he has any desire to leave because it's obviously incredibly lucrative. Yeah. And so the franchise is kind of, to me, it's, it's, it's set in stone. 
it, it is going to be what it is. Like what you're going to see from now on is what you're getting right now. It's a, there's nothing's going to change about it. Not like the early days of this franchise when you had De Palma do a movie, then you had John Woo do one, and those two movies are completely different, like in style. You could not get more different in style than Mission Impossible one and two. Um, and then J.J. Abrams took over and it got a little bland. Then Brad Bird had a shot at it, and he was a little bit better than J.J. Abrams. And oh, then, a lot better. A and then lot Ma- better. And then McQuarrie took over, and it's just kind of like, he's fine. He's he's technically skilled director, but he, it's just the same. It Does this movie... Do, do, well, first of all, can this movie still ho- hold up to an audience that likes the modern Mission Impossible movies? I have a feeling you you know what you're going to say, but I, I personally, I'm not sure. I don't think that a modern audience can will have the patience for a guy jumping through a window as being the big action set piece or him hopping over a fence, like as a, as a big action thing, um, crawling through a vent. Or, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that people can see this as action anymore. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a 96 minute spy thriller with chase sequences. It's, it, you know, it's not a fucking Antonioni film. Like, no, it's but very accessible. I don't, it's accessible, but I don't think it, I wonder if it gives people what they want with the car chase, the explosion, the jumping off of buildings, the big stunts. There aren't really big stunts in this. There movie. are exploding cars in the first 10 minutes. It's a totally different kind, though. It's not the rush. The This is not an adrenaline rush exploding car. This is a booby trap. So it's a different kind of action than what people are used to seeing. This is a very quiet action movie. It does not contain a lot of typical what we would think of as action. As as Rick said, like you wanted to see somebody who could make an action movie without firing, firing but, but guns without using guns. The only reason why we call it an action film is because of the last sequence. If you removed a train sequence, I wouldn't classify it as an action film. I would classify it as a spy thriller or a heist film. Mm-hmm. Sure. Which, which I know usually fall within the action genre, but I think there's a huge difference between a movie like Hard Boiled and Mission Impossible up until you get to the helicopter sequence, which is why I call it a bad scene. I think the helicopter sequence changes the whole entire franchise moving forward because then they bring in a guy like John Woo because of what he did in Hard Boiled, and it becomes this over-the-top unrealistic action se- sequence after action sequence that's over-the-top unrealistic. and. It changes everything. Like I would have preferred mm. if every single movie they chose a different director who all had a different style, and it'll be like James Bond. Some movies like Skyfall would be great, and some movies mm. like Spectre would not be great. And I would prefer to actually have some that are amazing, like Skyfall, and sacrifice the every so often you're going to get someone that's not going to deliver a good movie. Now what we have is we have one filmmaker directing each and every single one of the installments, which is kind of playing it safe in the eyes of Tom Cruise and the studio, mm-hmm. because I guess if he did a good job with Fallout, let's stick with this dude because I like working with him. I don't know what's better. Is it better to play safe or better to take chances and, and every so often come out with a dud, but come out with, with a movie that's incredible? I mean, there's no other franchise being run this way. It's totally unique. Uh, I'd rather have one thing doing its own thing uh, and churning them out in a maybe semi-reliable way. I mean, that's uh, not true, though. Like, what do you mean? Like, Fast and Furious is pretty similar. James Bond is pretty similar. All the Marvel movies are pretty similar. They create no, no, no. But I, I mean, in terms of um, of a a star a, a star director unit that are guiding the whole franchise, like a, like that never change that at least for a, at least a little while now are unchanging. It's not the same with those franchises. They have a showrunner. I mean, that's a yeah. They have like producers, Mar- sure, like the broccolis or whatever, like um, Kevin Feige or Feige. Kevin Feige, yeah, Kevin yeah. Feige. But it's not the, but it's not one star who's who's with you know. It's no, it's it's not the same. It's just not. 
no, it's it, it is it is a unique thing. It's to have this these two people, the star of the movie and the director of the movie, and to keep going on forever and ever. I mean, the Fast and the Furious they've had directors return, and certain franchises like you know Nightmare on Elm Street would have Wes Craven return. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it this seems to be the way that they're going to go forward for now. It's like they were experimenting at first, and now they're going forward. I personally like the experimenting because. I'm done with Christopher Corey's style. I'd like to see somebody else have a shot at it. While like Cruz John still... Woo? <laughs> well, I, I I will defend the decision to do the John Woo version because I like that Cruz went for something different. Sure. If Brian De Palma, tur- apparently De Palma turned him down for the sequel because he said one one of these movies was enough. Um, <laughs> Classic De Palma. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but I love that Cruz was like, okay, I'm going to get another stylistic director in here. And I might not have liked Mission Impossible 2, but I'll defend like that, that line. Yeah, of you'll, you'll, right. you'll defend to the death his right to choose John Woo to direct. <laughs> not, not his right. I'll defend that way of thinking. Yeah, that yeah way absolutely. Of thinking. For sure. For sure. Why wouldn't you? Win. But that's like that's like asking why why would you choose Brandon Obama? Well, because look at his filmography. Why would you choose yeah. John Woo? Look at the action movies he made in Hong Kong. But if you if you listen to interviews with John Woo and people who were on set for Mission Impossible 2, John Woo had very little say in how to direct the movie. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much walked all over him. So we can't put all the blame on John Woo. If they wanted fucking oh, doves sure. flying in slow motion, what is the guy going to do? He's doing what he's told to do. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you hire John Woo for? <laughs> <laughs> that is very John Woo, though. I mean... <laughs> And the guys like jumping off the motorcycles and colliding into each other. No, I know, but I think it's like, like they watched hard boiled and they're like, We want you to do this. You well, know what's he, funny? And at that point, Mission Impossible Two was one of John Woo's last big mate because he had already done hard target, face off, and um Broken Arrow before Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. You, you know what's funny is, I've, I, I, like I said, I've never seen Mission Impossible 2, but every time people complain about it, they make it sound awesome. So maybe I should just go watch it. It is awesome cheese. It really is. You've never seen Mission Impossible 2? No. Oh, you should. never. You should. It's the only one have I haven't a good seen. Laugh. You're going to have a very good laugh at this. Like the, it's... <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's unlike the other ones as far as the action goes. I can tell you that. It's so dramatic. It's very Simon, dramatic. they hired the guy who directed Face Off. What did they expect i know i know no and i love that he went for it i just didn't think it worked for mission impossible especially as a follow-up to de palma's movie so he went from all spy stuff because really the first this first movie's gadgets and spy stuff right it's not about running and gunning but it went to running and gunning like that's what the second movie's all about it's all about awesome action scenes on motorcycles firing machine guns with explosions and jumping off of ramps and colliding with dudes in midair and yeah all sorts of like just crazy all things that i like maybe yeah i'm just gonna go watch that look look here here's the last thing i'm gonna say because this podcast of course is running long like it does every single week but the thing about the mission impossible series is this movie that we are discussing today the very first one released in 1996 it was a continuation of a tv show but yet it was also a reboot so they're trying to start a brand new film series right so that's why we don't really have a team in a unit the reason why I think people latch on to the Fast and Furious franchise is because it's a family. And that's the model and the tagline of mm-hmm. the, the franchise, the series. It's family. It's not just friends. It's not just an action film. It's like a family. Like these are the people that you know, the cast members, the directors, the crew, all these people work on these movies, right? And the thing about Mission Impossible, so in this movie, you got Ving Rhames, he's introduced into the, into, into the fold, and then you got Tom Cruise. Okay, but that's not, that's only two dudes, and they're only just yeah. now forming their unit. 
you get to the second film and they're still experimenting. So they bring in John Woo movies over the top and it's crazy. It makes no sense. And people are like pissed off. Right. But mm-hmm. it's still they're, they're still trying to figure out what they want to do with this franchise. What I like about the series is it does evolve and like it or not, mm-hmm. eventually it does find its own groove and its own sort of like style and signature. And that's what we have now. Now, again, I don't know what's better. Like if we had a parallel universe, maybe we could see what the franchise would look like if they just continued to always choose a different stylistic director like Brian De Palma. <laughs> but we don't. So right now, like, I don't know, like maybe it's a good thing that they're just kind of sticking with the same director, cinematographer and and cast because they're trying to form something like the Fast and Furious series has where it's like familiar faces. And, you know, like maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I would be I see I would want to see what Sam Raimi could do with Mission Impossible movie and it would have to be like his quick and the dead Sam Raimi like the most Sam Raimi that Sam Raimi's ever been like I would want to see what all these different different kinds of directors what would David Lynch do with a with a Mission Impossible movie Lynch and I know Sam he Raimi, wouldn't want to do Tarantino, it Quentin Tarantino just think yeah, about Tim, it like yeah Johnny Toe yeah. I mean I would love to see these dudes too I totally agree yeah yeah um you know what I want to see uh I think that uh, Tom Cruise, if you're listening, you should actually do this. Uh, when you become too old to to do the stunt stuff, keep the Mission Impossible series going. Just keep playing Ethan Hunt. They take him off of street duty and they put him at a desk. Okay, he's a he's just a, a spy. He just does like spy stuff on the internet. That's his whole job, uh, and it's just about his life uh, adjusting to no longer being an action hero. You could get like Yorgos Lanthimos to direct it. Go nuts with it. <laughs> just keep it going. Take Henry everyone's surprised. Role. Exactly. By the way, Anthony Hopkins takes over Henry Zerny's role in Mission Impossible 2. So they really didn't have any continuation. You know, Tom Cruise is 58 years old. <laughs> we should wrap this thing the up. The dude is going to fly into space and perform stunts in space at 60. Just like Tom Cruise, in my opinion, should wrap up the Mission Impossible franchise. We should wrap this episode up. Um, Simon? Are you anywhere online still? You are off a of letterbox. You are no more there. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm still on letterbox. I'm just not very active. I'm trying to be less online. It's beautiful out. You know, uh, things are opening up. It's looking good. Guys, it's summertime for us that live in the northern parts of this continent. So hell yeah, it is nice going outside again. Get off the internet sometimes. Yep. Um, I also am not really online a whole lot. Uh, so you can't really find me except on this podcast. But leave us a rating, that sort of thing on iTunes. And, and Rick, where where can people find the, the podcast? And you. You can find the podcast over at sortedcinema.com. You can listen to the podcast just about everywhere from iTunes to Podbean to Spotify to you name it. But yeah, all the links are over at sortedcinema.com. On Twitter, it's sortedcinema. Everything's sortedcinema. All right. We will see you guys next week. Of course, I'm very sorry to hear you say that, Claire. Ethan. Yes. Ethan Hunt, darling. You remember him, don't you? You knew about Jim. Of course. Just exactly when he knew is something of a question. Mind telling me, Ethan? Before or after I showed up in London? Before London. But after you took the Bible from the Drake Hotel in Chicago. They staffed it, didn't they? Those damn Gideons. Ethan, if you knew about Jim, why? Why the masquerade? Why take the risk? 
Well, Claire, you've asked the question, and you are the answer. I knew about Jim, but he didn't know about you. In all fairness, Ethan, Claire was never convinced her charms would work on you. But I was supremely confident, having tasted the goods. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, Ethan. Let's just get the money and get out of here. Yes, let's get the money. Ethan. The money. Give her the money. You earned it. Old ten million. No, Claire was wrong about one thing, Jim. Oh? What's that? 